Amen. Go with me, if you will, to the book of Revelation, chapter number 12. In verse number 12. To Psalms, chapter 119, verse 126. All the parents of children 3 to 12, if you'll meet on the left side of the sanctuary, we're going to say that's my left side. We've got to pick either mine or yours. And so that'll be my left side. I, they have junior camp this week. So that's 3 through 12. I'm, not, I, I'm assuming that's what that's about. It says we need to meet all parents on the left side of the sanctuary after church, children 3 through 12. So there you go. Amen. Revelation chapter number 12 and verse number 12 in the book of Psalms chapter 119 verse 126 if you found it say praise the Lord therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Somebody say time. Psalms 119 and 126. Found it, say praise the Lord. It is. It is. It is time for thee, Lord, to work. It is time for thee, Lord, to work. How many feel like it's time for God to do something? Amen. I feel like it's time for God to do something. Hallelujah. I'm going to preach for a little while tonight. It is prime time. It is prime time. Lord, I pray for your anointing on me, and I pray for your anointing on this congregation. I pray for the power of your spirit, the Holy Ghost, sent down from heaven to fill this place and anoint me to preach and anoint ears to hear. God, have your way in this place, and we'll give you glory and honor and praise, and we'll thank you for it, God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a good hand clap of praise tonight. Amen. Lift your voice with that hand clap, and let's worship the Lord together. Hallelujah. He's worthy to be praised. How about having a little church for a while tonight and let the Holy Ghost have his way? Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You can be seated. God bless you. We are living in troublesome and what the Bible calls perilous times. Anyone with a biblical compass can see that these are desperate days. We need a move of the Holy Ghost. We watch with increasing angst as we see our nation embrace 
the very principles that she was founded to stand against. Tyranny of thought and action is the order of the day masked in politically correct woke terminology. Modern day Marxism is invading America. We watch what is happening in our world with heavy hearts and amazement that our society can be so blinded by the darkness of the hour while we see clear as day what's going on. In the final waning hours of Jesus the Messiah's life on earth, he gave the disciples an ambitious and great commission. He told his disciples, he told his church to go and make disciples. In the face of animosity from the high priest, they had a Holy Ghost revival. Against persecution from Rome, they had revival. Through great cultural acrimony, they had revival. The mission that Jesus Christ gave them drove them to press through their obstacles. The mission focused them while they faced difficulty. Through, as the old song says, many dangers, toils, and snares, the driving force of their great commission pushed the church forward. The enemies of God and the enemies of the church scattered the believers across the known world in what is known to history as the diaspora. Yet instead of weakening the church, it served only to push her and to spread this gospel across the globe. In the book of Acts, we find that neither political, societal, or religious persecution could stop the mission and the power of God's great apostolic church. The mission was more powerful than the high priest. The mission was more powerful than the emperor. The mission was more powerful than the Roman legions. The mission was more powerful than the prevailing culture and idolatry. The mission to make disciples launched the church from being a small, peculiar sect of an executed prophet to becoming the driving force of the world for the last 2,000 years of history. It was the power of the mission of the church. Time kept marching onward. The calendar kept turning. And the mission marked through days and weeks and months and years and centuries to our modern era. I will tell you tonight that one of the most troubling things in my life is the idea of time. According to the Bible gateway, the word time is, and its plural forms appear in the King James Version of the Bible some 845 times. When you add other words for the measurement of time, such as hour, day, week, month, year, and their plural forms, there are 5,533 references to the marking of time. I will tell you that time is a big deal in the Bible. Amen. Of all the things created by man 
One of the things I hate the most is the sound of a ticking clock. We live in a digital age. I have a clock, it's been ticking, not making a single sound. I remembered to start it. That's the miracle tonight. But my, when, when uh, Sarah and I first got married and we would go home to visit family, I hated staying at my in-law's house. And the main reason was they used those old-time ticking clocks. Tick, 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 tick. They all go to sleep. My father-in-law could sleep standing up. My wife, she doesn't believe it, but she has fallen asleep in the middle of a sentence while she was talking before. And I lay there, and in that house, from all over, three or four different rooms, tick, 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 I lay all night long. Nothing haunts my mind quite like the sound of a ticking clock. It's the haunting march of the constant tick that reminds us that time is getting away from us. The hand always advancing, pointing from one number to the next remind us that time is wasted, spent, or invested, but once it's gone, you can never get it back. If time were a general, he would outshine all the great generals because time has never one time retreated and only once did it ever stand still. Our greatest adversaries are not the things that plague society. Our problem is not Republicans or Democrats. Our greatest enemy is not abortion or perversion or racism. Our most significant enemy is not the crack house or the meth cooker. Our greatest enemies aren't demons and witches and warlocks and sorcerers. I will tell you tonight that time is the greatest enemy you and I face because we're running out of time. Amen. We're running out of time. The definition of the phrase prime time is, according to the dictionary, the regularly occurring time at which a television or radio audience is expected to be the greatest. Prime time is when they expect more people to be tuned in than at any other time. I use the term prime time during deer hunting season. That prime time is that moment right after first light or just before darkness when the deer get ready to move and you better be ready because when they come out, it's prime time and it's time to hunt. Prime time is the moment of greatest potential. Prime time is that moment of greatest opportunity. Prime time is the hour of your greatest possibilities. Prime time is the time to seize the moment. Prime time is when all out maximum greatest effort should be expended because it's the time of greatest power and greatest potential and greatest opportunity. Amen. In the late 1960s, they were some of the most difficult years for our country. Before a smart aleck chimes in, no, I wasn't born yet. 
There was social unrest centering around race relations and the Vietnam War. One of the hardest hit cities was the city of Detroit, Michigan. The city was in an economic and social state of strife. The, mid, the migration of the middle class residents to the suburbs reduced the tax base of the formerly prosperous cities, causing urban blight and poverty, and there was much discord and disunity. Inner city Detroit's economic vitality was gutted Left behind were vacant buildings and homes and storefronts, widespread unemployment, and the impoverished in despair. During the sweltering summer of 1967, the Detroit neighborhood of Virginia Park was a simmering cauldron of tension. At the center of the neighborhood was 12th Street, and at the corner of 12th and Claremont Street, there was an illegal after-hours club being operated. In the early morning of July the 23rd of 1967, the police moved against a party at this illegal club. As they waited to transport 85 patrons, 85 people that had been arrested in the club, people began to gather in the streets. Soon, someone threw a bottle into the street. Then more bottles began to rain down. One went through the window of a police car and soon a riot erupted. Within a few hours, thousands spilled onto the streets. Looting began, fires were started. Every Detroit policeman and fireman was called to duty. On 12th Street, officers fought to control the mob. Firemen were attacked as they tried to battle the fires. Eventually, the governor called the National Guard in, and soon, 2,000 paratroopers at the request of the governor to the president. 2,000 paratroopers arrived on Tuesday, July the 27th. Oh, I'm sorry, July the 25th. On Thursday, order was finally restored. During those four days of rioting, 7,000 people were arrested. 43 people were killed. 1,700 stores were looted. 1,400 buildings were burned. $50 million of property was damaged, and 5,000 people were left homeless. While Detroit was smoldering from the riots, two people began working together to bring change. One was a Catholic priest named William Cunningham. The other was a neighborhood lady named Eleanor Josaltis. They created an organization known as Focus Hope. Focus Hope was formed to bring the community together and to fight poverty. This, this small organization changed its community. They began to work in the neighborhoods and soon things were cleaned up and people began to respond and things began to change. In the 1970s, the organization expanded its mission to food programs. In the 1980s, they expanded their mission to educational and training centers. In the 90s and early 2000s, they began an aggressive community redevelopment program. They began to buy real estate, to buy empty properties and remodel them and sell them. The organization grew, and today, the annual budget of Focus Hope is $30 million and a staff of 200 employees. In 2019, the organization realized that it had abandoned its original mission 
and was basically a real estate firm. It didn't happen immediately. It started with small changes that moved incrementally from its original mission to becoming a real estate company. Focus Hope did not run to real estate. Focus Hope slowly, unwittingly moved from a community organization to becoming a real estate company. This happens in businesses all the time. Everybody here? It's called mission creep. Mission creep happens when something, when a mission expands beyond its original goals. And because of mission creep, it often ends in failure. Each new direction seems like a good idea at the time. But by the time mission creep has ended, the original goal has been lost and often never achieved. The only way to avoid mission creep is to keep a relentless focus on the original mission and what really matters. My brothers and sisters, we are the end time apostolic church. And I'll tell you tonight, we're running out of time. There's a lot of noble causes in this world, but we really only have one mission. There's a lot of honorable tasks that we could get involved in, but we have one mission. There are a lot of important activities that we could do, but the truth is we have one mission and we must make disciples and reach this world for Jesus Christ. That is our job. That is our mission. We cannot be distracted by lesser priorities. We cannot be become distracted by things that in eternity do not matter. We get our lives so caught up in things that aren't really important. We get our lives caught up in possessions and things and hobbies and activities and sports. And we ignore what really matters. My call tonight is that we stop mission creep and we get back to what God has called us to be. This is a life-changing station. This is a soul-saving house. This is a place where people are turned around, picked up, touched by the power of God. That is our mission. In Matthew chapter number 8, Jesus was calling his disciples to follow him. One of them came to him with a reasonable request. Matthew 8 and 21 Another of his, of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. It is a noble request. It is right to bury your father. It's important to bury your father. I hope my girls at least wait till I'm dead to do it. It's the right thing to bury your father. But there are times when good has to be sacrificed for great. There are times when pressing must yield to what's paramount, where what's right has to give in to what's more right. And Jesus said in 8 and 22 of Matthew, Jesus said unto him, follow me and let the dead bury their dead. In this end time hour, the church must let the dead bury the dead. We can't get caught up in politics. Let the dead bury the dead. We can't get caught up in what's happening out there. Let the dead bury the dead. 
in this end time hour, we must refuse to be distracted by lesser things, even good things, for the sake of keeping the mission in the forefront. Let me preach to you for just a minute. When we lose our mission, we lose our balance. When we lose our mission, we lose our saltiness. And the Bible says when we lose our saltiness, we've lost all value. We must fight against mission creep, my brothers and sisters. The gradual broadening of the original objectives of our mission. Canadian psychologist and philosopher Jordan B. Peterson has a fantastic podcast that I like to listen to. In his podcast, he often struggles to find and understand God. He was an atheist, but he in, in his life has begun to see that there has to be more than what he had believed there was. And often he talks about his struggle of trying to figure out about God and about Jesus and about the church. We as Christians believe that Jesus is coming and people need to be saved. But Jordan Peterson says he doesn't believe Christians when they say that. I listened to his podcast. I rewound it and listened to it again. And then I rewound it and I listened to it again. And I rewound it and I listened to it a fourth time. He says he doesn't believe that Christians believe that Jesus is coming and people need to be saved because, quote, because the way Christians live doesn't really show that they believe in God. Basically, he has trouble believing in God, not because of God, but because Christians don't live like they believe in God. If we really believed in God, we would have to fight for holiness every day. If we really believed, we would have to beg people to be in church faithfully, whether it was summer or not. If we really believed in God, there's people watching at home that would be here right now. If we really believed it, we wouldn't drive by people that are lost and never give them a prayer. Folks, it's time that we rise to the occasion. It's time that we understand our mission. This is our moment. Mission creep is when we spend most of our time trying to make people who already know God happy rather than trying to win people who don't know him. Mission creep is when we spend all year preaching to saints and never reach for sinners. Can I just tell you as nice as I can, our job is not to pamper and babysit and coddle people who should have already grown up. A godly mother doesn't ignore her baby to cater to the whim of a 30-year-old living in her basement. Well, praise God. Y'all want me to finish this message? You're ready to go. We have to prioritize mission. We got to go make disciples. We got to go reach our world. We got to tell the gospel to people. We got to reach for souls. Our mission is not to change the diapers of 40-year-olds. The mission is to go make disciples. May I tell you, the world is waiting for the church to get back to the original mission. We must be radically evangelistic and discipleship focused. 
I met with some of the most wonderful people yesterday morning. I met with some of the greatest people that I've ever had the privilege of knowing. They are life group leaders that every week welcome people into their homes and feed people and talk to people and pray with people that week after week after week they let people into their homes so they can help them to grow in their faith. I I want you to give a hand clap to all of our life group leaders. Thank you for living a missional life. Thank you for using your home for the glory of God. We got to be more than pizza parties and entertainment. We got to be focused on what God's called us to do. When we plan more pizza parties than we do outreach, we've had mission creep. When we plan more shopping trips and out than we do outreach, we have mission creep. You have to say, man, I know I'm preaching the truth. When we do more fishing trips than discipleship activities, we've got mission creep. When we pray for hours about winning souls but never actually try to win a soul, we've got mission creep. When we talk about having revival but never do anything to have revival, we've got mission creep. We pass our lost cities on the way to our pleasure places. I said we pass our lost cities on the way to our pleasure places. We pass our lost community on the way to the fishing hole, the hunting stand, the ball field, the beach and the mountains. We got to get focused and understand we're running out of time. The clock is ticking. We've got to make, we've got to make something happen while we've got a chance. This is prime time. This is the best time. This is our time. This is our moment. This is prime time for revival. This is our day. This is our hour. This is our time. God is moving. If we do not become focused on our purpose, we will be swallowed up by modern culture. When the church gets distracted by the things in the world, when we get too caught up in all the maladies and the stuff, look, I I can't hardly hardly listen to the news. I can't hardly pay attention to it because it makes me too mad. I wonder how can some people be so dumb? I'm just being honest with you. I didn't say which people, I just said some people. I can't really pay attention to it because if I'm not careful, I'll begin to despise the very people I'm supposed to be praying for. And so I got to understand, I got a job to do and my job is to make disciples. When we lose our mission, we've lost our saltiness and we're not good for anything. I wish somebody would say praise the Lord. Now look, the rest of it gets a little worse. You want me to keep going or stop? When our kids know more celebrities than Bible verse, they've had mission creep. When we know more memes, movie quotes, song lyrics, sports teams, and player stats, but we don't know how to win a soul, we've got mission creep. Hello, somebody. We celebrate the fact that we're not like the world. And I believe we ought to have holiness standards. If you ask me, I think we've drifted too far from where we ought to be. I think our skirts are too short. And some of the pants are too tight. Some stuff is creeping in. We need to get it out of here. I'm just preaching what I'm preaching because it's the Bible. 
But I'm also going to take a step further and say if everybody in our church looks like they've been here for 100 years, we've off mission. we got to go reach somebody. In a great house, there's vessels of honor and dishonor, vessels of wood and earth. There's people. we got room for people that need God here. we got to have people that need God here. I love it when people come hungry and they find what they need. Amen. Miss April, I'm not going to embarrass you for nothing, but, but they told me that when you came in the door, that you told one of our ministers that you wanted the Holy Ghost. And as soon as the music started, she grabbed somebody, she came up here, and it wasn't just a minute, she was speaking in tongues, God filled her with the Holy Ghost. She was just baptized in Jesus' name a few minutes ago. That's what the church is for, folks. That's what we live for. That's what we're here for. That's what we're about. It's not, about it. it's not about having the best music and the best everything. It's about people. This is our prime time, my brothers and sisters. Isaac Addis wrote about the lifestyle of organizations. He identified nine stages of an organization's lifestyle. The four growth stages, courtship, infant, go, and adolescence. Four decline stages, aristocracy, early bureaucracy, bureaucracy, and death. And then he described the ninth stage, an ideal stage that he called prime. He said in prime, they know what to do and what not to do. The organization has both talent and discipline. It has vision and self-control. It has it's oriented towards quantity and quality. Form and function are in balance, and they're functional. And when that happens, it can grow. Prime is when an organization is at its most effective. Prime is when it has its greatest impact. So I've come to this pulpit tonight to tell Bethlehem Church that now is prime time. Amen. Now, it's prime time. Adi says, he says in his book that the major challenges of an organization are first, get to prime, second, stay in prime, and third, get back to prime. Get to prime, stay in prime, and return to prime. That, my brothers and sisters, is our job we have to do. Every single one of us need to take a good hard look in the mirror and say, am I in prime? Am I at my best right now? Am I functioning spiritually at my high point? Am I praying like I ought to pray? Am I faithful like I ought to be? Am I worshiping like I ought to be? Am I living like I ought to be? Am I working for God like I ought to be? If the answer is no, then I'm not in prime. And my main job is to get to prime, stay in prime, or get back to prime. I'm preaching to good people tonight. I'm preaching to wonderful people. But I have some people that you're good and you're wonderful and you're awesome. But you got to get back to prime. You got to get your worship back and your prayer back, and your faithfulness back, and your holiness back. It's time to get back to prime, folks. This is prime time. 
I'm telling you, your greatest revival is ahead of you, not behind you. Your greatest miracles are in front of you, not behind you. Your greatest breakthroughs are in front of you, not behind you. Let's get to prime, let's stay in prime, and let's get back to prime. It's prime time. I wish somebody praised God right now. I wish somebody would worship him right now. It's prime time. Look at somebody, give them a high five. Tell them it's prime time. I'm telling you, this is your time for your family's greatest revival. You listen to this preacher tonight. I'm telling you, it is not too late for your family to have a Holy Ghost revival. It's not too late for you to get your joy back and your shout back and your tongue back. It's not too late for you to walk in miracles and signs and wonders and glory and power. It's prime time. This is prime time. It's time right now. It's not next year. It's not five years from now. It's now. It's prime. Look at somebody. Tell them it's prime time. And Jesus says, we got to get to prime Stay in prime or return to prime. The seven churches of Asia were founded primarily near the time of Paul's second missionary journey, which would place it somewhere around A.D. 50. John's revelation came somewhere in the early 90s. So there is a difference of about 40 years or so. Assuming those churches were founded before Paul went to visit them, which would make common sense, Those churches were somewhere around 50 years of age. In the book of Revelation, God took a hard look at those seven churches. And he praised them for their strengths and rebuked them for their weaknesses. He said, Ephesus, you've left your first love. Pergamos, you've got false teachers. Thyatira, you've had wicked prophets. Sardis, you look good on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. Laodicea, you're lukewarm. He didn't rebuke Smyrna, but he did warn them to stay strong because they were facing persecution. Within 40 or 50 years, the churches of Asia Minor were already in crisis. Mission creep had brought various weaknesses and faults. However, in the midst of all of this, there was yet one more church to be addressed, and that was the church at Philadelphia. Revelation 3 and 8, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. He said, I have set before you an open door, and no man can shut it. We as a church, and me as an individual, must decide to prioritize my mission. There is an open door before me, and there is an open door before us. I will tell you, this church cannot walk through its open door unless you walk through the door. 
Amen. This piece of real estate, this building, this structure cannot walk through its open door. It is, it is static. It's unmovable. It's on a foundation. This, this church cannot go through an open door. If we are going to go through our open door, it's going to be because the Leslie's went through the open door and the Connors went through the open door and the Kitties went through the open door and the Hales went through the open door and these young folks went through the open door. If we're going to go through the open door, it's going to be because we walked through the open door. I'm telling you, this is prime time. We can't miss our moment. We can't miss our time. We got to have Holy Ghost revival. We got to have a move of the Spirit. We got to walk through the door. It's prime. Look at somebody. Tell them it's my time. It's prime time. We have to get the clutter out of our lives and prioritize our mission. Time is our enemy. We're running out of time. The devil's come down with great wrath because he knows he's got a short time. He knows the clock is ticking. He knows time is running out. The devil knows that it's not going to be long, that Lord Jesus Christ is going to nod to that angel. And that angel is going to raise that golden trumpet to his lips and sound an eternal blast. And at the sound of that trumpet, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And we which are alive and remain are going to be caught up. And so the devil knows I'm running out of time. If I'm going to get these young people to backslide, i got to tempt them now. If I'm going to get these marriages broken up, i got to get in there now. If I'm going to get these men and women to backslide, i got to get in there now. So the devil is working overtime because in his mind he hears the ticking of the clock. I'm running out of time. I'm running out of time. i got to get more drug addicts. i got to get more alcoholics. i got to get more sex addicts. i got to get more people in adultery. i got to get more people messed up. i got to get more people unfaithful because he hears the ticking clock in his mind and he knows I'm running out of time. I got to break up as many families as I can. I got to break as many churches as I can. I got to get as many people to backslide because I'm running out of time. But while he's running out of time, I'm telling you this is our prime time for revival. This is our moment. Time, 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 the click, the ticking of the clock. Every 1.8 seconds, a human being dies. By the time, in the time it took me to say that sentence, someone went into eternity. As much as we lose track of time, we lose people twice as fast. Not only that, but every second, 4.2 humans are born. So not only are we losing people, but we're not racing fast enough to keep up with the growing population. We get engrossed by the minutiae of our day, our daily lives, things that are important, but they're not the most important. And time just keeps marching onward and onward and onward. But remember the words to the church at Philadelphia. I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. When it says no man, it means no man. The, the book of Acts church faced religious persecution. They faced cultural persecution. They faced political oppression. Yet at every turn, they had revival. 
And I will tell you that when God sets an open door before a church, no man can shut it. This is prime time. I'm not going to waste my summer being distracted by things that don't really matter. I'm going to have fun out there. But when I come in here, I'm coming to have Holy Ghost revival. Play all the golf, do all the swimming, do all the fishing you want to do. But when you come to the house of God, let's have Holy Ghost revival. Let's have a move of God. Let's have prime time. It's prime time in Bethlehem. It's time, Lord, for thee to work. Stand with me. I'm going to close. I'm foregoing some of this. I will tell you honestly that the worse it, se- it seems to get out there, the more people I find that are interested on what's going on in here. I think about John the Revelator, the writer of the text that we wrote tonight. He is on Patmos, a prison island in the Mediterranean. He is no longer the young, strong disciple that laid his head on Jesus' shoulder. Now he's older. His body carries the scars of being dipped in burning oil three times for his testimony. His hair is singed and burned away. He has sores and infected scars from wounds that didn't heal properly. The man with the burning flesh had been put on a prison ship to this rugged, barren island called Patmos. There in filthy, horrid conditions, he's surrounded with the worst criminals of the Roman Empire. The original Greek word for Patmos actually means my killing. It was a place designed to kill people, to kill visions, to kill dreams, to kill people. It was designed to break people down until they died. And it was in this bleak and troublesome moment that the burned, scarred, weary man of God began to write to his end-time counterparts. Perhaps he looked ahead to 2021 and he saw a pandemic, a broken economy, scarred, tired, burned, weary Christians facing trial, opposition, trouble, and all kinds of various situations. And that ancient man of God touched his quill to parchment. And after seeing what he saw, he wrote this in Revelation 4 and 1. As after this I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. Hurting, wounded, scarred, beaten, bloodied, burned, outcast, on a prison island, the worst of circumstances and the worst of situations. Here I am at the place of my killing. But when I open my eyes and look, I don't see the prisoners and I don't see the prison guard and I don't see the scars and I don't see the burns and I don't see the weariness and I don't see the trial and I don't see the problem. But when I look, 
what I see is an open door in heaven. And when I listen, the first voice I hear, it sounds like a trumpet talking to me. And he's saying, come up higher. Are you telling me I can rise above Patmos? Are you telling me I can rise above my pain and my struggle and my trouble and my problem and my prison guards and the prisoners around me? Are you telling me I can rise above my pain and my angst and my anguish and my depression and my anxiety and my fear? Are you telling me I can rise above the stuff that's going around me? But when I open my eyes and I look, I see an open door and I hear a voice saying, you can get above that. Come up higher. May I tell you the call of God upon the church is to come up higher. And in the very next verse, immediately I was in the Spirit. Praise God the Holy Ghost can move at Patmos. Praise God the Holy Ghost can move on a prison island. Thank God the Holy Ghost can move when I'm at my worst and I'm at my lowest and I've got all kinds of mess in my life. Thank God that there's an open door and the voice of God and the Spirit began to move and I was in the Spirit. May I tell you in 2021, you know what's getting ready to happen around here? Can I tell you, I know there's trouble. I know there's problem. I know there's stress. I know there's circumstance. I know there's situation. I know there's all kinds of stuff going on in the world. But I can also tell you that there's also an open door. And there's a voice from God. And the Spirit of the Lord is moving. And it's prime time, brothers and sisters. It's revival time. It's Holy Ghost time. I wish somebody would walk to this altar with their hands in the air and say, God, I'm coming. This is my moment. I hear the voice. I see the door. I've heard my word from God. And I know that it's my time for a breakthrough. Oh, yes. Come on. Lift your voice to heaven. April Burks was baptized in the name of Jesus Christ just a little bit ago. Amen. April, this is your time. This is time for you to be blessed. This is time for you to be anointed. This is time for you to be delivered. This is time for you to be set free. This is your prime time. I wish you'd reach over and grab somebody and begin to thank God with them for what God's getting ready to do over these next few weeks and months while the Holy Ghost is poured out.
He's the Lamb of God. We're thankful tonight for a word from the Lord, hallelujah, that has fed our soul. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. We ask that you will take this word with you. Dwell on it. Let it dwell in your heart and continue to speak to you. Hallelujah. For it is time and it is high time. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.